the messages over these last several weeks if we've, as we've looked at who Jesus was taught to be by those earliest of believers. I, I hope and pray that they have been uh, helpful to you and that you have come to know him closer and more intimately. I, I pray that our time in Acts, as we have considered even before this last ser- series, that you have been challenged that you've been challenged to see how God has worked in his people and how he continues to work to reach the world, to to reach the nations. I hope that in the coming weeks, as we continue to push forward and continue to consider what he says in his word, that you'll give yourself to it, that you'll study it, that you will be in it, that you will be encouraged by it, that you will be corrected by it, that you will be shown um, where your error lies so that you can walk in the right way. Uh, in the coming weeks. Today's really the close of this last message uh, for this, this series that we've been in, this Jesus. We'll step back into Acts for just a little bit, but as we move towards the fall, we're going to take an emphasis and we're going to really look closely at the gospel and what it, what it is, what it means, how we deliver it. Um, it'll be a church-wide thing. I mean, we'll, we'll do it in our community groups and everything. So, I hope and I pray that that will be a fruitful season for you. But today, today as we consider this Jesus, the Jesus that makes this all possible, where we've been and what we've, what we've talked about, we finish today thinking of Jesus and seeing Jesus presented as God's plan. God's plan, is, is, as we focus on it and as we think about it, God's plan isn't just about things taking place in a certain order. There are events that he plans, obviously. I mean, let's consider this. How many of you know a planner? I'm married to one. I'm not talking about a planner who plans today. I'm talking about a planner who plans days that are still, you know, months from now. I'm married to one. And she she can tell you what August 15th, what day of the week it's going to be because she's already got a plan somewhere around there for that. What's August 15th going to be? Come on, don't leave me hanging. You're not going to do it because I said something about it. Normally, she could just, it's a Saturday. What? How do you know? She's going to leave me hanging today. But really, I mean, honestly, that, that's the type of planning that, that she does. I mean, she thinks and she knows weeks in advance stuff that's going to be going on. And, I, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about that. I think it's, I think it's important that we have planners in our lives. I mean, if I didn't have a planner in my life, I'd still be wondering what I was going to do in 10 minutes. I mean, I w- that's just the reality of it. Sometimes I still do. <laughs> um, in fact, I woke up this morning and I, I knew what I was going to be preaching on, knew what I was going, what direction I was going. And about 5.30 this morning, it changed. You'll get the basic message that I was going to preach, but there's different emphasis. But see, that's why I don't plan. Because I tend to see that we, we live in a world that's just, it's just ravaged with, you know, it's, it's just violently flawed. And we have no control over so many things. And so for me to plan, I, I'm just all about just rolling with it. You know, what comes, comes, and I deal with it on the fly. I, I, I feel like that's a strength of mine. Maybe I'm not so good as I think I am, but, but I think that's a strength of mine. However... I'm also thankful that I have someone in my life who looks out and thinks, this is where we as a family, this is what we need to be focusing on. This is what we need to be doing. And in some way, we have really complemented one another. Because she's become more flexible. She's become 
easier to deal with in change, and I've become more adaptable to actually making a plan and looking out in the future. Both of us aren't comfortable in either arena, but 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 the funny thing is, is that you know, these plans that we make and these things that we we say and whether we plan or not, you know, it's it's it, it's all dependable on something else. Every bit of it. I have to react to situations. Plans are made depending on situations. But here's the beauty of God's plan. It's only dependent upon Him. You see, nothing else matters because His plan is His will worked out. His plan is, is, his, bill, is his will, His purpose, His mission coming to reality. His plan, it, it, it all focuses on it all centers around this man, Jesus. The text that we're going to read from today really really demonstrates that plainly. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 2. Peter is standing up. It's a familiar passage to, the, to you guys that have been around for a while. It's Peter standing up in the midst of thousands of people. Some are amazed at the miracle they're seeing as... They're hearing God's goodness being proclaimed in many different languages. This is Pentecost morning. Some are looking on and they're ridiculing and they're saying, you know, these guys must be drunk. There's something wrong. This isn't normal. And so rather than try to understand what's going on, they begin to point fingers and ridicule. He stands up in the middle of it and he says, no, that's not what it is at all. They're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. This is a, the revelation or the, the, the revealing or, or fulfillment of a prophecy that was given by one of your own prophets. And then he begins to speak specifically about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, it says this Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know. You see, this, this man Jesus, he, he wasn't a stranger to that culture. They all knew him. He had, he, had, he had walked this walk that people, even if they hadn't seen him or been near him, they'd heard stories about him. I mean, it's like our superstars. It's like those people that, you know, we, we're doing a, a video study by Matt Chandler on our, in our Bible studies during the mid, in the middle of the week. We met Matt Chandler this week. And for some people, that's a big thing. Oh, man, Matt Chandler. He's just a tall guy. I mean, really, he's just... That's, that's who he is. He's got a great love for the Lord. But there's nothing really special about him. I mean, I didn't see him heal anyone. I didn't see him put spit on some guy's eyes and make him see. I, I didn't see him dead and come back to life. But in our Christian circles, he's like a superstar. I appreciate his teaching. But standing there, I recognize he's just this guy. He's just a guy. He's really tall. You look up at him like that, but he's just a guy. But this Jesus, this, this, this man Jesus, he was known because when he walked into a city and, and, and went into this place, these places, the, the, the Bible teaches us that in some places he went, some cities he went into, he would walk into them and heal everyone there. And so that when he left, there was no one sick. That no one had illness or that the blind could all see, the lame could all walk, the people who had 
problems with their arms, could all lift things, you know. Everything that had been wrong physically, he made right. Jesus, this, this guy, you know, just more than just a man, because when he taught, he didn't speak based on what other rabbis or other teachers said. He wasn't even educated in the formal way, but when he spoke, he spoke with authority. And people heard it and were amazed by it. And his teaching drew thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And at times repelled thousands and thousands and thousands of people. This Jesus that that Peter is referring to, he wasn't just simply some guy that they all knew about, but they knew, they knew that he was a man of God, attested to by the power of God. You see, he was more than just some guy that came in and was a good teacher. He was a miracle worker. He cast out demons. He had authority. And when he said something, it happened. He wasn't just your average everyday superstar. He was an amazing man of God. And for, for, Jesus, for, for Peter then to say, this Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the one attested to you by the power of God... Everybody knew him. There wasn't a question as he stood and preached this. There wasn't a question. Wait a minute. I've not heard of him. I, I, I don't know what's going on. What are you, who are you talking about? They all knew him. He says, you yourselves know this Jesus. This Jesus. Very specific. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus is God's plan. Yeah, God's plan is is very broad and it's it's far-reaching and it started long ago. But it wouldn't be a plan if it weren't for Jesus. You see, Jesus, in, in, in the Jewish way of thinking, Jesus, he, he's, he's here, He's teaching, he's, he's working miracles, we're upset with Him, we need to get rid of Him. They're looking at, at, at completely from their own perspective. They have no idea that there's a far-reaching or farther-reaching idea behind Jesus. They're just trying to, to deal with life, flying by the seat of their pants, a lot like I do. Jesus comes on the scene, teaches against them, tells them in essence, the Pharisees at least, that you're whitewashed tombs. Your ways of life are empty and meaningless and you are dead and rotten inside. That's what he taught them. He says to them things that, 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 that they have no hope in their law, that they, that they will not have eternal life. And, and they are disappointed and hurt and angered by it. He says to them at one point that if you want eternal life, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it was a hard teaching. And thousands of people walked away. And he did things that they didn't agree with. And and, and he healed a guy on the Sabbath, you know. And what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. And he made claims that they couldn't appreciate. He made claims of being God. Before Abraham was, I am. 
And they picked up stones to kill him. And this continued on through his life. He was hated, detested, rejected. But they didn't get it. In fact, in another sermon, Peter says, we, I, I know you acted in ignorance. But here he tells us, here he tells us that even as the Jews acted, even as these, these, these people acted, that they were fulfilling God's plan. His definite plan. And that he was delivered up because of this definite plan and by the foreknowledge of God. You see, God wasn't surprised at all. When Jesus was crucified. He wasn't surprised that he was hated or rejected or neglected. He wasn't hated or, or, or he wasn't surprised. I'm sorry. He wasn't surprised when Jesus was rejected. He wasn't surprised when these people wanted to rid themselves of Jesus. When they didn't recognize him to be the Messiah. He wasn't surprised. This was God's plan. When you consider this, God's foreknowledge of these events, when you think about this, if, if you consider it closely, you have to recognize that, that at some point, God's plan, this plan, includes these Jews out in the future. So His plan extends back at least to the point that He's speaking to Abraham in the wilderness. And, and speaking to Abraham and calling him into covenant. Because Abraham was the beginning of those Israelite people. So we know that this plan, this, this knowledge that God had extends at least that far back. We, we understand that, that this foreknowledge, this prognosis that God had as He looked into the future, He knew that this was going to happen with these people at this time. It's a knowledge that you and I can't comprehend. I mean, we try. You know, the word prognosis, we use it a lot in medical terms. We want to hear from the doctor the prognosis. With things like, especially, you know, um, fatal diseases, those diseases that, you know, cancer. Well, what's the prognosis, doc? Can you operate? Can I take radiation treatment? How long do I have to live? We want to know the future. God knows the future. And He wasn't surprised by these actions that these people took. This definite plan, when Peter spoke of this definite plan, he's speaking to these people and using terms that mean something that's marked out, measured. It's established and given boundaries. And the idea is, is that this is a marked out, specified, specific moment that God has been looking forward to all along. And this description from Peter, we're forced to recognize that it's always and was always God's intention to do this. To bring Jesus to a place where He put on flesh, dwelt among us, taught, lived a perfect life, performed amazing miracles, loved His people, but was rejected by them angered them, and they handed him over to be crucified. It is his definite will that this take place. It is his definite plan. It was his purpose in Christ 
And the reality is, is that if you begin to think, if you begin to think about God's foreknowledge, going so far back as the Israelites, going so far back as Abraham, before he even founded the nation, he knew that was going to occur. Then it's not a far leap to think that he knew it before the foundations of the earth. You see, this is what Peter is teaching, that God has always known this. He's not surprised by the way you acted. He's not surprised in the things that you did. This was His plan. This is what He's about doing. This is why He was sent originally. This is why we can even know God. This is why we can even be in relationship with God. Because in His plan, He made this provision. You see, the idea... that Peter's preaching. It may, have, it may have been first preached in this gospel message. It may have, it may have been first taught to the church in this, in this first gospel message, but it didn't stop there. That's not the end of his teaching that. In fact, as he wrote to the church years later, at the end of his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, he sits down and he writes to a church, a Jewish church that is suffering. They're hurting. They're being killed for their beliefs. He writes to them and he says this in 1 Peter 1, Chapter eighteen verse or chapter one verses eighteen through twenty. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, speaking about their salvation, how they have been redeemed out of the law and the futile, the the de- the, the empty, powerless ways of the law. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God has always known. Before He said, let there be light, He knew Jesus was coming. Before he, he, he made chaos and, and took the chaos and put it in order, he knew Jesus was coming. Paul also taught this. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In this passage, it's obvious. I mean, obviously, we can't be chosen in Christ. We can't be elected in Christ before the foundation of the world unless Christ is chosen before the foundation of the world, unless, unless God's plan is established from before the foundation of the world. So as He made Adam and Eve, as He molded the dust and He formed the man, and in that beautiful picture of him leaning over and breathing life into the man, before that moment, his plan was to send Jesus Christ. 
before he took the rib from, from Adam's side, before, before he looked at Adam and said, it's not good that he's alone, and he puts him to sleep and he takes that rib, before, before he forms it into the form of a woman, before he presents Eve, the first wife, to her first husband, he knows that Jesus is coming. Before they were walking in the garden and heard the serpent speak, This fruit looks really good. He doesn't want you to eat it because it'll make you to be like him. And she looked at it and saw it was good for food and, and, and understood that it would make her to be like God. She ate it. And then she turned and gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Before that moment, God knew that Jesus was coming. God knew that He would be sending His Son. God knew that He would be picking a people to bring His Son through. See, it's interesting that as you consider God's plan and consider how He's worked through history, the Jewish people looked at what He was doing and they thought, we are God's chosen people. And they were. That's what He said. Enter into covenant with me and you'll be my chosen people. You will be my God. I will be your God and, and you will be my people. And they had this relationship with him, but the distinction between the Jews and the rest of the world was not simply that, that God didn't care or wasn't concerned about the rest of the world. The distinction between the Jews and the rest of the world was simply that God had chosen to use them in his plan. And so as they stand here before Peter hearing the sermon preached, he's confronting them with this truth. Your righteousness. The, the hope that you have, that, that thing that you're standing on, it's not about you. It's about what God is going to do through you. Because it's His plan not simply to exalt you as a nation. It's, it's His plan not simply to lift you up and, make, and give you what you want, but through you to bring what the world needs. You see, it's God's plan that Jesus come through the Jews. That's why He exalted them. That's why He gave them law. That's why He chose them. Was to eventually bring the Messiah, the Savior, our leader, our prophet, our priest, our king. The missionary that was sent from God to retrieve us. God Himself in flesh. The author of life walking among us. Our holy and righteous one. Those are all things we've learned about Jesus in these messages, in, in these perspectives that Peter has preached. This man, Jesus, is God's plan. And you killed him. You see, right, right here, this is where it changed for me this morning. Because I wasn't going to really focus on this. But we see presented in this verse this beautiful mystery that is difficult to deal with. God has a definite plan and He knows what's going to happen and always has from the very beginning. But immediately following that statement, what does Peter do to these men that are listening? He places the responsibility on them. God's sovereignty, our responsibility. 
It's difficult to imagine. If this is God's plan, I mean, the question is, if this is God's plan, if, if He's known it, if He decided to work this way, if He knew that Adam and Eve would fall and He chose to offer salvation and He chose to send His Son, why in the world didn't He just keep Adam and Eve from making the choice? How can we be responsible if this is God's plan? How can He hold us responsible if He Himself sent Jesus to die? It's difficult. But you know what I think we're most responsible for? Yeah, they killed Jesus. But you know why they killed Jesus? was because they didn't recognize Him. They didn't recognize Him. Of all the people that should have recognized their Messiah, had every opportunity in the world to recognize their Messiah. They had the prophets. They had the law. They, they had the Psalms and the teachings. They, they, they had it all. In fact, Paul weeps for them and laments for them in Romans as he speaks about, if I could give up my salvation that my brothers, the Jews, could have it, I would. Because He longs for them to know their Savior. Of all the people that have ever existed that should have known Him, they didn't. They rejected Him. You see, and honestly, I think that's what it's all about and why we are still responsible. Consider this. In the beginning... God creates. It's beautiful. It's as He intended. And He looks at this man and this woman that He creates and He says to them, go and be fruitful. It's all yours except for one tree. And in that, He he keeps from them one thing. One thing He keeps from them. And a serpent comes along, which kind of in itself and by itself, you know, that's kind of a crazy thing. A serpent comes along and starts speaking to the woman. And he tempts her with the fruit. And he teases her with the idea that she'll be like God. And when she ate, it wasn't so much the act of disobedience, although it was important. In the act of disobedience is a rejection of who God is. A rejection of his authority to give commands. A rejection of his ownership of our life. A rejection that he has any right to keep anything from her. You see, she didn't recognize God to be all that God had shown himself to be. In a perfect environment. And she turns and she gives the fruit to the man. And the man heard. We know for sure the man was there because he at least was the one that God gave the command to. There's some people that debate whether the woman was there and heard the command or not. But we know the man was there and we know the man got the command. And we know that he was told, don't eat of this fruit or you shall surely die. And he quit recognizing God as His Creator and Sustainer and ate the fruit. Abraham, the father of our faith, 
as he's facing trouble and having to leave this land that he's in, he's, he's with his wife and he comes to this place where he feels danger and he feels threatened. And not recognizing who God is, he says his wife is his sister and offers her up to the men of that city because he didn't recognize God for who God said he would be. Abraham, not recognizing God for who God said he would be, gets tired of waiting on having the child that was promised and takes matters into his own hands. Sleeps with his wife's maidservant. Moses. Oh, Moses, man. Moses got it right, didn't he? He got it right, didn't he? You know why he wasn't allowed to see the promised land? Because in a moment of anger, he quit recognizing God to be who God said he was. The Israelite people, days after crossing the Red Sea, days after crossing the Red Sea, imagine this, imagine this, and all that led up to it. Pharaoh says, you can go. In fact, we are going to send you with gifts and we are going to bestow on you all the wealth of the nation. And they leave not just with what they had, but what they were given. And they go out and as they are going, Pharaoh changes his mind and begins to pursue them. I'm imagining that's probably a scary thing because this was an army that everyone feared. And they come to this place at the edge of the Red Sea and the Israelites, they're ignorant, they don't understand, they haven't gotten it. And they're afraid that they're going to die in the desert. And Moses walks out into the water and he puts his staff out and the sea divides. And they walk through on dry ground. And they get to the other side and they are celebrating and they are praising God and they are loving Him for what He's done. And as the Egyptians come into the sea to follow them, to chase them, to pursue them, to capture them and bring them back into captivity, the waters close and the army is defeated. Days later, Moses has been called up to this mountain. And he's there communing with God and and being a mediator between God and these people. And they look at Aaron and they say, Hey, you need to make a God for us. And they quit recognizing what God had done. And they quit recognizing who God was. You see... Even the Pharisees, thousands, uh, maybe not thousands, but at least a thousand years later, a couple thousand years later, the Pharisees, they've quit recognizing who God is and how He's the one that provides righteousness and how He's the one that provides hope and that He's the one that provides eternal life because now they have this law. And if in their physical being they can fulfill this law, then they are happy and they are content And Jesus comes to them, it's John chapter 5. Jesus comes to them and he says to them, you are condemning yourselves by the very law that you live by. You see, he says to them, you search the scriptures trying to justify yourself in them. You search the scriptures trying to point to yourself as righteous. But they were really given to you to show you me. They quit recognizing 
who God was. And they began to take life and and make themselves the center of it. You see, Romans even tells us, John, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that God has made himself known. And that no man will stand with an excuse. Because what has been his eternal truth and his eternal power has been made known. And that, that everyone has the opportunity to know him and is responsible to know him. But that as we live our life, we're guilty of not recognizing him. No one seeks God. It's Romans chapter 3. No one seeks God. That word no one, it means no one. Not me. Not you. Nobody out there. No one. Not one. No one. And we stand responsible. We stand responsible because we reject and do not consider and ignore what God has revealed about Himself. But here's the beauty of God's plan. He knew we were going to do that. He knew that we were going to struggle with that. He knew that that would condemn us. He knew that that would separate us from Him. He knew that apart from Him acting, that we would never seek Him. And so we would never find Him. He knew that in every act of sin and every sin of omission that we would be rejecting Him and not considering Him. I mean, consider it. Everything we do, that we strive to point to ourselves as good people, that's ignoring that God deserves the glory. I want people to know me as a good father. I want people to know me as a good husband. If that's the end of my life, if that's what I live for, if that's the motivation behind my striving to be those things, then it ignores and rejects the truth that God deserves the glory. If I decide to run out and and ignore my family and spend all my time given to to my hobbies and to the things that I would rather be doing rather than spending time with a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old teaching them the the truth of God, that that I would rather spend time um, doing whatever than, than spending it with my wife and leading her in Christ. Those sins of omission, those things that we don't do, that we should be doing, demonstrate that we do not recognize God as one who has authority over our life and says that this is the way I've designed it. This is the way I've intended it to be. And I have the authority to tell you. In, in, in culture's way of saying that, hey, we can measure up, that God should just accept us for who we are and that, that God should just love us. And that we don't need Christ. God, there's all kinds of ways to God. That's a rejection of God Himself and His authority and power. You see, that this has got the beauty of God's plan. Because He knew that we would struggle with this. He knew that this would be the end of us. Unless He acted. 
And so way back before the first words of creation were ever spoken, somehow, I, it's a mystery to understand. I, I, I don't totally get it. But somehow in the Godhead, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Son says, I'll go. The Father says, we've got to save them. The Son says, I'll go. The Spirit says, I'll remind them about you. You see, it's His plan. His plan really is pretty simple. It's big. Pretty simple. Create. Allow them to fall. Redeem. Bring them back. Reconcile them to Myself. And then restore. You see, the beauty of this passage is not simply that, that we see Jesus as God's plan for redemption and reconciliation. We can see in it also that Jesus is God's plan for restoration. Because it doesn't end at Jesus' death. It doesn't stop when He hung on the cross and the nails were driven in. It doesn't stop when He hung His head and said, It's finished. And gave up His spirit. It doesn't stop when they put Him in the tomb and rolled the stone over it. Peter tells us, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, the plan doesn't stop at Jesus' death. The plan continues. The plan is, is cemented, secured, made true. Because this man, Jesus, that we are responsible for, is alive. And His plan to redeem us and reconcile us isn't just for this life, but for the one to come. Because God's plan doesn't stop at redemption and reconciliation, but extends to restoration. Let me just give you a passage. Acts chapter 3, Peter preaching again. And as he's preaching, he calls people to repentance. And starting in verse 19, he says this. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoration of all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. You see, there's coming a time, and I don't know it, you don't know it, and we don't need to sit and worry about figuring it out. Because we can trust that in God's plan that He's going to finish what He started. He started the plan. He set the plan up before it ever went into motion. He had the plan established. And so far we've seen Him carry out all of it. Ensure that it took place. That He is working. And what He started, He will finish. You see, what we have to look forward to is this. That that one day, when the time is right... Jesus will come back out of heaven. That He will come back and that all things will be restored. The idea is that all things will be made new. It will be made to be. The physical world is not going to stop existing, but it's going to be made to be what God created it to be. Our lives, it's not that we're we're not going to work and things are going to be totally different. Obviously, they're going to be different. Because we won't have this, the, the pain and death and, and suffering that comes with sin. We'll still have a job to do. We'll still have a mission in life, a purpose, a, a reason for living. 
But no longer will we be tied and torn between these two ideas of honoring God and ourselves. You see, our whole life will be about His honor and glory. As we work in the new creation in this restored place, it will be that we will be working for His honor and glory and we will not struggle with the the torn motivations within us. You see, that's the restoration. When He comes back and He makes all things new, that's the end of the plan. But that end goes on forever and ever 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 and ever. ever. Do you get it? It never stops. And ever and ever. You see, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, our lack of, of recognition of God Because of Jesus, our lack of recognition of God can be forgiven by God. And our failures can be covered. Our lives can be reconciled. Because of Jesus, our hopelessness gives way to hope. Because of Jesus, we can rest assured that as God works out that plan and draws us into that plan, that what He started, He will finish. Because of Jesus, even when our plans aren't working out, we can see that nothing will stop His. Nothing will stop the plan and will of God. I find that very encouraging. Because it's in my experience, at least in my experience, that more goes wrong in this life than right. I don't make a a ton of plans. But as we started this church, I I developed a vision. I I believe it's a God-given vision. And I had this idea and I see this future for this church that's amazing. And in my plan, it took about a month and a half to make it happen. Here we are three years later, facing struggles, dealing with church discipline, sometimes dealing with with hard conversations, people not agreeing, conflict resolution, People from the outside looking in thinking, what in the world are you doing? Say, that wasn't part of my plan. I don't don't wake up in the morning and think, I wonder how many things I can do wrong. All right, I'm going to do that wrong on purpose. I'm going to screw that one up. Oh, I bet bet so-and-so will make that wrong for me. You see, but here's the beauty of it. Even as our plans fail... This plan from God will not be stopped. Nothing can stay His hand. Because of Jesus, the things we face in this life are not endured in vain. Everything that we face, the struggles that we've dealt with in this church plant, the, 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 the work that we've had to extend, the, the long hours, the, the, the sweat of our brow, it's not in vain. In the struggles, God's grown me. Three years ago when we first started... I could have told you I was ready to plant the church and, hey, I don't, I don't really need other people because I can do this myself. That's how arrogant I was. Three years later, I can tell you this. I wasn't ready to plant the church. And today, I'm still not ready to plant the church. But by the grace of God, the vision that He's given is happening. But it's not because of me. And honestly, it's not really because of you. But as He puts us together, 
we become a picture for the world around us of his plan. Fallen people being redeemed and reconciled into relationship, looking forward to restoration. See, that's God's plan. And all that we experience in this life causes us to recognize that in ourselves we have no hope. We have no power. We have no ability. We have no opportunity outside of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, God's plan is revealed and God's plan will be completed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you haven't hidden yourself. We are sorry. And and God, we repent for our lack of recognition and recognizing you. We're sorry for the torn motivations, for the, for the, the lack of desire sometimes to live for you and rather live for ourselves. We are thankful that because in your plan, all of that, every bit of it, past, present, and future, are covered by the blood of Christ. We are thankful that you call us to repentance, to, to changing our mind about what our God is and who you really are. To turning from those sinful ways that, that you give us not just responsibility, that, that yes, we're responsible, but that you give us opportunity to trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. To depend on Him for our salvation. And Father, truly you give us ability to do those things. We thank you that your plan built in Christ includes us. We thank you for our salvation, for the hope we have. We thank you that as your spirit lives in us, we are reminded of who you are, that we are called to recognize you, that that in him we can even begin to portray the beauty of your works, the fruits that come from being yours. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That we thank you that you do that in us. We thank you that you give us purpose, a mission, something to to give ourselves to, to, to act in physical ways, to demonstrate your glory, to let people see your grace, so that people can hear your truth. I thank you. There's more than just more than just what's here. The here and now, the, the present. I thank you that your plan shows us what's to come. A life in relationship with you. Knowing you, all of the distractions, all of the distortions, all of the false and flawed views, the the weak perspectives removed, and your beauty before us. I thank you that that as we stand here and think about the things ahead, that, that we know that in that time that our eyes will see our Redeemer, that we will see Jesus in His flesh. It's an amazing thing, God.
I thank You that we don't suffer in vain, that we don't struggle in vain, but that everything that happens to us here truly is used for our good to demonstrate Your glory, to remind us of You, to point our attention to You. Thank You for all You've done and all You're going to do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.